You didn't ask for it, but here it is, the Bourbon and Brothers Podcast. Welcome to the Bourbon and Brothers podcast. I'm your host for this evening, Flynn Ashley, and I'm here with my fellow host, Kevin Reynolds. What's up? Andrew Hofkamp. How's it going? And Jacob Pretty. Greetings, new listeners. <laughs> I promise he's not that creepy in real life. <laughs> uh, yes, he is. Not Tonight, not uh, I am enjoying a nice glass of uh, Buffalo Trace. It's uh, uh, one of the, the easiest drinking $25 bottles of bourbon that you can find. It's kind of rare to find, though, uh, so whenever I do see it, I buy it no matter where I am. Kevin, what are you drinking tonight? Excellent. I'm having Elijah Craig's Small Batch. It's 94 proof. It's a go-to of mine on a regular Thursday evening, and it's phenomenal. Hope what about you? Uh, I, uh, first off, would like to commend Flynn on his golden Buffalo Trace uh, uh, selection there. But uh, I am cracked open a little uh, 1792, uh, the year that our state was founded. I figured uh, that was probably a pretty special year. We're beginning a podcast. Why not begin with uh, the beginning of our statehood? Excellent. Excellent. Jacob, what are you drinking? Jakob. And I, since no one wanted to hand it over to me i'm drinking uh basil hayden's uh kind of just normal basil hayden that was gifted to me approximately two years ago on new year's eve by uh mr kevin here thanks for that i did that, I did that. yeah i'm still drinking it that was one of the Excellent. nicer things Excellent. you've ever done for him why did you do that I was really, really <laughs> having a great celebration that evening. Yes. <laughs> so you just went to your bourbon supply and handed Jacob a bottle, and you said, here you go. Sunny. I was proud of him uh, for something. I don't remember what. Um, great. But it was, it was a great time. So uh, we have brought you here today uh, as uh, listeners to this amazing new podcast um, t- because this is the start of a fun journey that we'll have to continue to record this podcast. Hopefully uh, people will listen, have a laugh with us. Uh, we consider ourselves pretty funny people um, that like to talk about ridiculous things and lots of lots of detail that they don't warrant um, and We hope to get together once a week to talk about random topics in a lot of detail and have some fun while drinking a glass of bourbon. Uh, We call this Bourbon and Brothers for two reasons. One, we all love drinking bourbon. We love trying new bourbons. We love thinking about bourbons. We just really love bourbon. Um, And two, we're all brothers. Uh, We're not biologically brothers, but we joined the same fraternity while in college. And making that decision has bonded us as as really close friends um, that really love to to have a good time and, and laugh together. So we're just four guys that want to get together and share some of the random stuff that we want to talk about and have fun while doing it. Hopefully you have a a laugh while doing so as well. So we have three uh, topics that we're going to discuss tonight. The first, we're going to do an in-depth analysis of a useless topic that we've all decided to do some research on um, and that I am really passionate about. And I think these guys are too because we've had many heated discussions over the years. Uh, The second thing, we're going to go into Jacob Brady's fun facts and And he's going to describe a few things for us that are either true or false. And we're going to tell you whether we think they're true or false. And then it's going to be Dr. K's story time, uh, which should be an interesting 
time. So I'm going to turn it over to Andrew Hovecamp, who's going to introduce our in-depth analysis of this useless topic for the evening. Useless in-depth analysis. Right. Uh, and I like, it is definitely useless, but I also, uh, like you said, I find a lot of passion in these discussions. So in that way, I think it's very useful. Uh, but today's topic is going to be Ron Weasley. Um, and there's a lot, you could probably have a whole topic about each part of Ron Weasley. Um, but in short, what do we think of him? Uh, do we have a positive connotation with Ron, negative connotation? Um, do we think he's replaceable? Where, where are we at with Ron? Um, and I'm going to lay down just a little bit of where I come from with how I form my opinion of Ron. Um, I think he is very replaceable, and I think that oftentimes he borders on a bad friend. Um, or oftentimes he's just actually a bad friend. Um, so let's go through the years with Ron Weasley here. Year one, plays a great game of chess. He freaks out on the devil's snare. Harry does too. That's not necessarily a, an indictment against him, but he is absolutely the worst to Hermione pre-troll. So, Very true. Hovecamp, I don't mean to stop your role, but for our listeners who don't know Harry Potter, could you describe who Ron Weasley is? Uh, yeah, that's a, an excellent point there. Uh, pretty uh, Ron is the purported best friend, as written by J.K. Rowling, of Harry um, who is with him through the good times and the bad, or is he? Um, but really, he's just the, the right-hand man of the hero of one of the most beloved uh, store, fantasy stories in uh, our friendships. And for you new listeners out there, uh, Harry Potter is the story of a young wizard uh, who gets into magics and, uh, and mischief of sorts. If you don't listen to Harry, if you don't know what Harry Potter is and you're listening, stop listening. And yeah, stop listening spoiler. forever. At this point, at this point, if you don't know Harry Potter, I don't want you to know us. So just turn off the podcast, go back to doing whatever nonsense you were listening to in the car or while you're running, and just leave. Okay, because if you don't know how great Harry Potter is, then you don't know anything. And I, and I want to make another point before we go on, because I totally have a serious concern with with the way in which ron weasley has been introduced in this conversation okay if you don't like ron weasley then you don't like han solo okay for the star wars people out there ron weasley is the han solo of Bold harry take. potter he's, uh, he's we this. can we can Oof. we'll get into we'll get into some comparisons uh towards fine, the end of fine. this let's keep your hot takes I would to like yourself to, kevin i'd like to go through the disrespect uh, the is years, what i was addressing the years it's just of nonsense. ron weasley and, uh, and why I think that he could literally be any other character. Um, but in year two, he um, is insufferably scared of spiders, which is just kind of an interesting thing when you have a guy that's trying to fight spiders all the time. Uh, but he's stuck, behind, he's stuck behind the collapsed tunnel. Harry does all the work to save the day. Harry has to save the day. I get that. But again, Ron is rendered useless. Year three, he's bitten in the leg by... Um, a large black dog, serious black and anima, animagus form. Um, so Harry and Hermione do all of the work to save the day. In can, we, can, four, can we also talk about in year three how he harbored a literal murderer in his pocket for most of his life? Unknowingly. Spoilers. Okay, mass murderer, Flynn. Mass murderer. <laughs> Sorry, <laughs> thank you for the correction. Let's give Peter Pettigrew his his due here. Seriously one-sided argument. Um, in year four, it. he is, I think this is the the worst. Uh, because when Harry is pulled from the Goblet of Fire, 
Clearly something is horribly, horribly, horribly wrong. And instead of realizing that his best friend is in danger, he can't see past anything other than severe jealousy that Harry needs another light and another moment in the sun um, and feels excluded and cuts off all ties with Harry and is... I would like to avoid any uh, explicit ratings here, but he's a right twat to Harry um, since these guys are English. Um, so that's my probably biggest one. We can circle back to that. Um, I think your five is his most commendable year because Harry is kind of the worst to be around and he sticks up for him the whole time. So shout out to Ron there. Um, your six is all about Harry, Dumbledore, Snape, and Malfoy, um, but he is completely insufferable with uh, his girlfriend, Lavender. And he is also horrible to Jenny, who also has a boyfriend, just for the fact that she has a boyfriend. Um, and then you're seven, he abandons Harry and Hermione um, as they hunt horcruxes. So I think that there's a lot here to suggest that Ron is a capable fighter. He acquits himself nicely, but so is everybody that fights in this book. Um, Neville is a capable fighter. When Lovegood becomes a capable fighter. Um, and he is as great as much as he's a good friend to Harry. He's also a bad friend to Harry, so I don't necessarily think that if you replace Ron with Dean Thomas or anybody else that this story would drastically change. I think Ron's character is unremarkable, and I think he's a pretty bad best friend sidekick. Utter pretty, nonsense. Pretty as the most Ron Weasley of all of us. Uh, I'm interested <laughs> to hear your take. <laughs> Whoa. You should resent that, Jacob. I, you should resent that. I, no. I, I don't resent it simply because I disagree. Ron Weasley, while yes, not maybe not as cool or as hip as Harry Potter, has many, many, many great qualities. Um, he is uh, one of the only other people to possess uh, one of, uh, I believe, someone's going to fact check me on this because this is the listeners. This is exactly what this group of people will do. I, If any of us say something, someone's going to... It, say that we're wrong and prove them otherwise uh he's one of three people who uh wield the sword of godric gryffindor throughout the uh series sorry spoiler alert everyone and i think he has just all of those charming qualities that kind of uh we'll get into a fun fact later that uh is really interesting about ron weasley so i'm not going to get into that but no ron weasley is absolutely m more than just the the boring sidekick and i would i would I would say he's one of the better sidekicks in in of all fiction. I think you're missing the point in that Ron Weasley is not there to be the best friend sidekick. Ron Weasley is there to give Harry Potter something he did not have with the Dursleys, something he did not have his whole life, which was family. Truth. Yes, I'll agree that there was an issue in book five where he was, or book four, excuse me, in the Goblet of Fire, where he was, you know, a complete jerk in that situation. But that's what you do when you're human. When your brother, who is, you know, this famous person and gets everything he wants, you know, continues to, to, to see that through and has a, you know, a whole vault full of money, and yet you've grown up relatively poor in a family that's, you know, lower class in the, in the wizarding world. And so I, I think... I think this boy who lived under the staircase his whole life needed to find this person who um, saw him right away, befriended him, and just wanted him to succeed and feel welcome. And I think the fact that, that the two of you have clamored away at him in such a ridiculous fashion is just absurd. Yeah, I I think that it's it's fine to say that his biggest achievement or biggest, you know... Um, 
support in the first book was the chess match. But I go back to the fact that that Star Wars A New Hope ends in utter disaster if Han Solo doesn't swoop in at the very end with the kill shot, or at least with the shot to Darth Vader's TIE star. Right, the the yeah. disabling shot. It's huge. It's, it's, it's a perfect metaphor for how Ron showed up when he needed to, and he did what he could do with what he had, right? He's no Jedi. He's no Harry Potter. He's not the chosen one. But he's who we needed in that moment. And so, I, you know, I think I understand... You think he might be replaceable, uh, but I think that's like trying to replace, you know, spaghetti to Harry Potter's meatballs, you know, or or <laughs> lamb and tuna fish, right? These are things that just go together, and, and, they're, and they make each fish? other better. Yeah, lamb and tuna fish. It's from a movie what? you haven't seen. It's from a movie you haven't seen, Flynn, because you haven't yeah, seen most movies. Movie yeah. Go, go watch Big Daddy, about. and it's amazing, and you'll get the reference. Okay, most of the people who are listening to this just went, is Flynn Ashley nine years old? And the answer is yes, <laughs> he's nine years old and he hasn't seen most good movies. Most movies I have not seen. But I would like to rebut, but I would rather, I'd like to, to rebut what you were saying. So you, you were saying that he is, he is Han Solo, that he is always there in the right moment. Um, <clears throat> I think that Ron's whole thing is that he was in his seat and Harry just decided to sit next to him. He could have sat next to anyone on that train and just Ron was there. And so Ron was ending up as Harry's chosen one. Chosen one. Harry didn't have any friends growing up, and so when he found this one friend in Ron Weasley, he clung on to Ron. Even as Ron proved over the years that he wasn't as good of a friend as he needed. He was a good friend at times, he but broke in the him book out of the four Dursley's and in book house. seven, he definitely did not prove that he was a good friend. He came back to Harry eventually, but we want friends that want to stick next to us through thick and thin, and Ron definitely did not do that. Okay, okay, but we can't judge, you can't judge Ron on just his, like, it, back to Kevin's point, one of, the, one of my biggest problems with the movies is that they don't ever show sickles or uh, Knuts, the the silver and bronze form of monetary value in the Harry Potter universe. Because if they did, you would truly know how much poorer the Weasleys live compared to uh, Harry Potter. Because Harry Harry will throw a galleon out, the gold piece, like it's no big deal. Like, oh, yeah, yeah, it's just a galleon. But like Tehran, that's like what he maybe would get for a month of like spending money kind of thing so yeah, that's and i mean he's he's been thrown a tough a tough life uh, in his his state and socioeconomic status and just have a huge family with little money um i don't see how his ability to have money and pay for things makes him leave the camping trip of horcrux hunting makes him abandon harry when he is in the most confused just maybe Considering he read his uh, life in danger like six times before that, the most life endangering thing to his life to that point, and Ron leaves him again, and it's just it's just constant friendship problems and and replaceability in the group as far as his skills go. It's where I don't think Ron deserves any of the credit. Okay, but check my check my knowledge though, because isn't it true? And I think it was made. It might have been exaggerated more in the movie than it actually w was stated in the book. But isn't it true that he was in some sort of a enhanced state or or he was being affected by the Horcrux when he chose to leave the Horcrux hunt? I mean, yes. that's like saying, how the hell 
does Kevin Reynolds give a delicious bottle of bourbon uh, to Jacob Pretty at 1 o'clock in the morning on New Year's Eve. Why would he do that? Kevin loves bourbon. Well, it's possible I was in a different state of mind, affected by lots of different things, and I chose to react in a certain way that I'm responsible for, but I might not, I don't know that I should be fully held accountable for in this way. So I, I think it's that I think is, using that, that against the, him is not one fair. Reason, I think that's the one reason I rate his abandonment in Goblet of Fire as worse than his abandonment in Jealousy. I think they, they were. I think they were written very well um, by J.K. Rowling because they're basically um, the the exact opposite of each other. So so Harry growing up, all he wanted was a loving family, um, that someone that he could lean on and, and call his own, and he didn't have that. Uh, and so when he got into the Wizarding World, he had fame, he had money, all of these things that Ron had. Ron had the things that Harry wanted while he was growing up. He had all this family. Uh, and then when he sees Harry, he has this jealousy because he's like, you have this fame, you have this money, but he doesn't see how good that he had it that Harry actually wanted. And so they each had something that the other did not, and they each wanted what each other didn't have. And so, so Harry stood by Ron constantly. You can't say the same for Ron, and that and and so I I think that uh, that it, you know he 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 was not as good of a friend as he could have been. Now I'm not saying that he's a terrible person. What Hope Camp and I are trying to say is that anyone could have done what Ron could have done. No, also disagree. There's not a single character that fits that description that you just mentioned. The yin to his yang, the lamb to his tuna fish, the spaghetti to his meatballs, the thing that he was perfectly made to partner with. There's no other character that could be that, right? The other characters serve purposes, right? Luna shows up and she serves this purpose of being the only person that believes in him because people never believe in her, right? There are there are things that make sense in those situations, Um but, you know, I, I just I think that there's not a single example of somebody there that really could have taken that place. But again, my point is J.K. Rowling totally plagiarized Star Wars A New Hope, and they're always, always going to need to be the Luke Skywalker, the Han Solo, and the Princess Leia. And, and that's kind of what, what needed to transpire there. And so I, I just, I, I, you know, I, I'm where I am. I don't know if you guys are where you are, but Flynn, I feel like you're, you're making two sides of the same argument. I'm not sure that you're really there. Um, but that's the end. I, I rest my case. Ron Weasley's an irreplaceable character, a phenomenal uh, member of of the the Harry Potter team, and the Wizarding world is better for him. I would argue that Harry's eventual wife could have filled all of those same roles, seeing as they are literally in the same family, um, and also never abandoned him. But I am curious here. Um, and Ginny was a so, better, you know, magic yes, Ginny's awesome. And um, but I'm curious Quidditch. here where. So I think there's some other well-known fantasy fictional best friend type duos um, that we can sort of maybe compare Ron and Harry to and rank them or compare them and say, you know, and you think it's Han and Luke. Um, you know, I think we can all agree that like the pinnacle is Samwise Gamgee's best friend status to Frodo. Um, uh, yeah, unequivocally. Unwaveringly yeah. phenomenal. That's number one. Mm -hmm. uh, Lord um, of the Rings. So what are some other Lord ones that you guys are are curious about um, and, and how you would compare them. Uh, so I think it just depends on what uh, what the state of the friendship is. So is there one that is that is clearly 
uh, kind of atop the friendship and just like Frodo and Sam, like Harry and Ron, or is <laughs> yeah, it, probably. or is it a hundred percent equal? Because uh, I see you have written down here to and Pumbaa. They're a hundred percent equal. And, and I think they both bring the almost exact same to the table. Timon is clearly the alpha. So, clearly. <laughs> That's true. another topic that we he should bring up at some point. Around. I, I, I put just several best friends in there, um, but I think in almost all of them, you could argue there is a clear, at least hero uh, or alpha. Yes. So to that point, and I, I'm reading this list for the first time, uh, and Hovecamp, you should read down who all you wrote down because I think this is a topic in and of itself that we should address later. But one thing yeah, I want to point um, out... One thing I want to point out, everyone you have listed, aside from Harry and Hermione, and aside from Joey Chandler and Sean and Corey, which I'm not going to count these because you initially said fantasy fictional. So every one of those ones that you have pointed out, the person uh, or the, the correlation between the two is caused by some type of either one person is working for the other or one person is in service to the other as opposed to a genuine kind of bonded friendship from the get-go that just came out of nowhere. So, boom, Ron's at the top of the list. Because even Han and Luke, Han and Luke no being awesome. Because there's no power differential. Han yeah. and Luke being awesome. Luke hired, well, technically Obi-Wan hired Han to transport them to Alderaan. Uh, yeah, uh, yeah. Um, well, I think I think you can argue that there is a power difference in all of these, and maybe Harry didn't employ Ron, but his status is higher than Ron in the wizarding community, and that creates a power differential. So I think we're just going um, to to see this uh, for what it is. But some of the names I've got here: Samwise Gamgee and Frodo, um, Samuel Tarly, and Jon Snow, who start out as equal brothers in the Night's Watch. Um, Theon Greyjoy to Rob Stark. I was looking for someone that I definitely thought was worse than Ron. Um, Happy to Tony Stark. Cal Naughton Jr. and Ricky Bobby, just a classic best friend duo. Um, Harry and Hermione. I thought it would be nice to see uh, what the best friend of Harry's actually looks like. Um, Chandler and Joey, Sean and Corey, um, Han and Luke, Timon and Pumbaa. Uh, those are just some of the names that came to mind. But again, I, just, I was thinking, where, where do we rank Harry and Ron on this? I personally, I put Will Smith and Carlton Banks above above Ron and Harry. Well, yeah, no, I would, I would. They were adversarial for most of that series. I mean, I. That's fine. I, Brothers can do that. Apparently, we're doing that right now. Mm-mm. Just one point I would think one that you know I've already made the case that that it, it's hard to compare Han and. Luke to Ron and Harry because it's unfair because, again, they were the same characters written, or at least one was modeled after the other, clearly. But one I would mention uh, from the Marvel Universe is Black Widow and Hawkeye. I was this is a relationship mm-hmm. completely, um, you know, we all know that if you're, if you're, if, you know, if you're choosing your Avengers and you have to choose between Black Widow and Hawkeye, we're everyone, everyone is choosing Black Widow. Um, you know, she is definitely the more useful, the more powerful, the way more, you know, attractive for sure. But in... in... <laughs> I feel subjective. Uh, but for our purposes... It's not. It's yeah, it's, not. In this podcast, these four, yeah. But yeah. I think others would have a different opinion. But but they need they needed each other until the very end. And that, I think that that's a huge, you know, that's a comparison I would make that I think is right up there with those two. That's fair. 
Yeah, I was going to say that as well. I think that that's, um, you know, I, I was I was thinking about the Marvel universe of uh, uh, Tony Stark and Rhodey, but uh, mm-hmm. Black Widow and uh, Hawkeye are, are quite cl- quite clearly the top of the Marvel universe. <clears throat> so let's do just a real quick. Uh, where does it rank? If Peon and Rob Stark are the bottom, Samwise Gamgee and Frodo are the top. Um, so that's your one, and that's your ten. Um, throw it out there. Where you got? I think it's I think it's hard because I don't believe it's apples to apples. I think Ron and Harry exist in a in a bond with Hermione. I think she exists as much of a part of that group as the two of them and that's not that's not as true. That's like saying, you know, how good a crime solvers are Shaggy and Scooby. Well, they, you know, they need, you know, the entire mystery gang, you know, the whole mystery mm. machine gang in order to, to really be successful with Fred and Wilma and Daphne to be there so it's hard to separate i don't know i'm see i think that that harry and hermione are are above harry and ron in in best friends um because hermione brings a lot more to the table and is much more supportive of harry uh than than ron ever was and so i think that their friendship um was was i think the top friendship um you know i think that that people are more likely to go to the ron harry relationship and then the ron hermione relationship but the harry hermione relationship i think was the most important in all of the books no it's flat it's a flat thing it's a triad uh my answer um and again reading this list i really want to just do like a a which sidekick would you pick kind of like uh you know gauntlet style type thing coming battle up royale battle royale sidekick for sidekick um but I think best the important friend, thing, but, you know. best friend, you're right. The important thing to remember is if you take away the sidekick, what do you lose? And best I think friend. with the, if you take away the best friend, sorry, if you take away the best friend, <laughs> what do you lose? And I think with Harry, you lose that humility that Ron, even though Harry's humble, you lose that humbling sense that Ron keeps bringing to the table. You also lose that sense of wonder. And so in that regard, I would rank Harry and Ron at a, Eight out of ten. I'm there. Cool. <laughs> well. Well, that was a good discussion, guys. Uh, we can all agree that uh, we do not agree on the <laughs> uh, uh, Ron Weasleyness uh, so and usefulness of, of the of the books, and we yeah we we disagree. I think Hope Camp and I are on the same page, but uh, Jacob and Kevin did not come around to our our <laughs> correct thinking there. So, uh, moving on to our next uh, next segment, this is called Jacob Pretty's Fun Facts, and I'd like to introduce this a little bit. Um, Jacob Jacob Pretty, while watching movies, while in casual discussion, while watching a television show, while playing Dungeons and Dragons, while doing literally anything in life, will come up with a fun fact. Uh, he will say fun fact, and then everyone tunes out as soon as he says those words. Fun fact. And he says them so often that if if we're sitting around having a beer, if, if Jacob is watching a movie, we all take a drink while Jacob says the words fun fact. And we drink more beer uh, than we would like in that regard because he says fun fact a lot. And he seems to know things, um, and he claims to know things. I know them, but I don't seem... 
but we're going to find out if what he knows is true or not. So Jacob has come up with some fun facts for us that Hovecamp, Kevin, and I are going to debate whether we think are correct or false. Jacob Brady's fun facts. So, uh, yes, to your point, uh, fun fact, um, my fun facts are never, uh, I never come up with them. I know them, uh, and therefore they are true. Uh, this also makes me a great person to have for your bar trivia team, uh, and I can be rented out or leased out for uh, trivia uh, at any time. I'm pretty good. Self-acclaimed. You're in for uh, mediocre anyways. company and subpar trivia. Hire Jacob Pretty. Hire Jacob Pretty at 555-5555. Anyways, uh, fun fact number one, going off of our recent discussion we just had, Ron Weasley, uh, which is why I was waiting to drop this knowledge on you all because it's going to shatter your arguments from earlier. Ron Weasley's most prized important moment was being immortalized as a chocolate frog card. Fun fact. What would have happened after the books, and basically everything J.K. Rowling's done after book seven is awful. (laughs) So... Yeah, or said, uh, for that uh, matter. Yep, <clears throat> very true. Uh, no, no, no. Hey, the, the actual... That was a great choice. Y- yeah, but did she have anything to do with that? That was sarcasm, pretty. Oh. <laughs> he got fired. <laughs> Whoops. Anyways, uh, the actual fun fact is this. Uh, Ron Weasley was the second character that J.K. Rowling came up with after Harry Potter also cementing the fact that he is integral to the entire storyline. Uh, I, I would say that I buy it because when you create a character uh, and you want to have them have a, a decent arc, you want to create their their opposite. Uh, how do you help that character evolve? You introduce them in that way. I think some people would read it and say that Voldemort is the opposite of Harry, and, and in some ways that's true. Um, but in terms of the yin and yang, lamb and tuna fish argument, I think uh, I think it makes sense that that might have been that might be true. Um, I agree. I, would, I I think it's all. I th- I also think it it would it would it makes sense that it's true when you write such a um, wholesome, amazing, uh, you know, selfless character like like Harry Potter. You have to create that yang, and that's exactly what Ron is. Um. I also think that from a utility perspective, it makes sense to do the second one because you have this character that has no idea what he is or who he is, and that's why the first idea that pops into your head. So how do you introduce this magical world and to create a, a way to introduce and a way to kind of explore the magic that is Hogwarts? So Ron and the Weasleys being a, a conduit for that it makes sense that that's the next way that she uh, wanted to go. Chocolate Frog thing, I actually think I've read that or believe that. Um, Ron's always wanted to be the hero, um, and so when he can be the hero, I think that just makes sense for me yeah. to be immortalized like that. Yeah, plus Jacob would never come up with a fun fact that's false when it paints Ron in a, a, a positive light. <laughs> uh, yeah, so you got you got three people who agree with you, Pretty. Great. Fun good. fact. That's yeah. the first time that's ever happened. Uh, very true. <laughs> fun fact on that. Uh, so, listeners, um, my co-host thought that this was going to be like two truths and a lie. But the thing is, is all of these are true. Um, if you disagree or if they disagree, you will have to convince me otherwise. But these are true because they're fun facts. We should, fun we should facts also are always note true. 
We should also note, though, pretty that oftentimes you just confidently say things when we aren't in total agreement or trying to figure something out. You're like, oh yeah, no, that was clearly 1948, and we're like, oh, okay, yeah, you're right, you're right. That was in the realm of possibility, um, and you have zero idea if that's true or not. So yeah, we really can't tell if you're pretty fun facts or just you confidently lying to us or if you actually do know it. Yeah, confidence. Yeah, is key, Jacob everyone. is confidently wrong a lot. <laughs> Uh, I, confidently wrong is a bold statement. I would say confidently misinformed. Whatever. Let's hear number two. <laughs> so fun fact number two. Uh, so uh, listeners, I've I've recently moved into. I, I'm gonna quit saying listeners. That's weird. Uh, <laughs> I've been moving, you know, and taking my time moving. So I was I was doing some research on this and just kind of uh, Wikipediaing some things since that's a bold, you know, credible source. The average person in their lifetime will move approximately 11 times <clears throat> don't buy it. it the average person in the world pretty are you talking about americans uh, only if so that's pretty ethnocentric of you if you're talking no, about no. I'm all talking humans the in the entire all humans world in the entire world i think that that's utter nonsense i think you're taking in you're not taking into account nom nomadic cultures um and how they'll skew the the you know the data? Are you talking about in 2020? Are you talking about in the last 100 years? This fun fact sounds exactly like something off Wikipedia. It is uh, <laughs> short and to the point, and might be useful to the freshman uh, student writing a research paper for the first time but bears no real credibility in the eyes of, of the accomplished researcher. I say deny. Okay. Anyone else? I think I think you just confidently answered something you didn't know when Kevin asked, "Is this the world population, or is it your ethnocentric <laughs> U.S.?" You're just like, "No, it's totally, definitely the world." You just pulled a random sentence off Wikipedia, and you're talking about the research conducted to get to it. <laughs> you have no idea. I have <laughs> I have an update because Jacob has challenged us to uh, make sure he's wrong. Um, so I found what Jacob Googled earlier today, uh, <laughs> and it says you. Using ACS data, it is estimated that a person in the United States can expect to move 11.7 times in their Point lifetime. Made. Point Not made. the world. So you were correct if you were just to say United States, but because you wanted to be confident, you decided to say the world. Most Jacob Pretty move ever. And can we also point out that he just rounded 11.7 to 11 and not 12? <laughs> I'm, I'm pretty upset by that as well. The whole thing is shenanigans. Too Next better. fun fact. It was Next a quick fun glance. Uh, Next fun fact. <laughs> uh, uh, next fun fact. Okay. Um, the uh, since this is a bourbon sipping podcast, uh, fun fact about bourbon is twenty five percent of bourbon is actually not um, bottled in Kentucky. It's all made in Kentucky. Twenty five percent of bourbon it's is not bottled in Kentucky. The the second part of your sentence that it's not it, that it is all made in Kentucky is false, because not all bourbon has to come from Kentucky. Right. Sorry. But sorry. I, I, I was implying that like of the bourbon that is made in Kentucky, twenty five percent of it is not bottled here. I think I believe that. Uh, made this made is a very ambiguous term when it comes to bourbon, so I think that that's important to think about. Are distilled, we talking about the Kevin. distilled or aged? 
because there is yes. there's a ton of Kentucky bourbon that is aged in rick houses that happen to be over the Kentucky border. Um, but I don't know that I can agree that 25% of Kentucky straight bourbon whiskey is made outside of Kentucky. I I call um, I call Kentucky horse manure. Well, he, he did say bottled, and I think that's a, an important thing because there are lots of distilleries that will go for the Kentucky Straight Bourbon Whiskey tag, which means that they make their whiskey elsewhere, age it in Kentucky, or just kind of meet the minimum requirements there. But the aging process occurs multiple places um, as long as they can finish or do the Kentucky Straight Bourbon part. So I'm going to say that those bottling places, I mean, Brown Foreman is huge. We, they're not, they're not, I'm, not, I'm not naive enough to think they're going to Kentucky when they're finishing a product. Yeah. So I think there's, I mean, we're saying 75% of it still is. That's, I'm, I'm fine with that. I'll accept this fact. That's fine. I, it's true. I mean, my response is who cares. <laughs> uh, I mean, you, you disagree with this one. You're gonna have to do the Googling for this, for that one. Yeah. Uh, cause I, I, yeah, I, I agree. I didn't enough Google that to one. Not, I just not Google it. Came out of the old noggin. Uh, okay, and then the last thing, uh, Happy New Year, listeners, um, that I have for you all. Happy New Year, because I'm assuming we're releasing this after the New Year, unless we're releasing this in the next, like, day. <laughs> nah, 2020 has um, been miserable enough. We'll spare it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, we, we didn't acknowledge that no one's really going to listen to this thing, so it doesn't matter what I'm saying, that none of these facts are actually true facts no. and more just opinions. But the top three New Year's resolutions that will be used for the year 2020 are... Hang on, that were used for the year 2020 or that will be used for the year 2021? I'm saying will be used. Oh my gosh, okay. (laughs) You're predicting the future now. No, he's predicting the past. Oh, okay. I'm predicting this glass of bourbon that I'm keep drinking. Uh, No, yes, the the top three topics of of, uh, New Year's resolutions. Let me guess, let me guess for you, Sam. Let me guess. Sure, go. Lose weight. Run okay. a marathon. Okay. Um, definitely not run a marathon. Graduate. I definitely agree with lose weight. Lose um, weight. Drink less. Talk less. Would would not have done. I'm not. I'm not. Uh, but you know. Yes. There's got to be so, something with like recovering from the dumpster fire that just was. Is that a resolution? I don't know. I mean. For 2020, I guarantee that's probably going to be like the top thing. Is there a way to get the date on that? Do you know how resolutions work? My resolution for 2021 is, or okay. are these past resolutions? That's Tell fair. us the answer. Uh, the answer is, uh, Kevin, you were right. Uh, the the diet, exercise, weight loss will count that as one. Uh, reading more is is the second most popular resolution, and uh, learning something new such as a new language. Uh, Flynn, drink less, though, is not far down that list. <laughs> Why? Where was Marathon? Where was Marathon? I, that's, I would call that under, like, the weight loss, diet, getting healthy thing. I hear that all the time. I'm going to run a marathon next year, or I'm going to do a 5K or something. I don't okay, know. Okay, 5K is never... in marathons <laughs> okay. are a lot right. different. Right. Oh, my gosh. Oh, I, I, I agree. Today, I'm nowhere near a marathon. Well, I, 
Yeah, I'm, I'm just saying, I think people set running or workout milestones as part Kevin's of their like, resolutions. Kevin's like, it's a 5K or a marathon, I'm not doing it. It doesn't oh, not, matter what it is, I'm not doing it. That is so true. That is <laughs> so true. You know, I'm like, you know, do you want to walk upstairs more? The answer is no. I'm really not interested in that. But I, 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 I don't know. I hear it a lot. I would like so, to. I would like to commend Jacob uh, because I'm pretty sure his New Year's resolution for the last three New Years was to propose, and I think he finally did this year. Uh, and I'm, 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 I'm. You think? I, I, I was also having a very good time two years ago. I was also very having a very good time two years ago at New Years, and I'm pretty sure that you gave him that bottle of basil hayden's as a congratulations for proposing no, no that's it didn't not happen that year it's not true no so two years ago i think it was because i was proud of him for moving to new york or i was thanking him for coming in from new york or from far away to visit for new year's eve last year i can i can definitively say i have the piece of paper where he wrote his new year's resolution was to propose to cat this year and he made good on it so i don't think that happened two years ago because i i would not have let him uh not propose and <laughs> had just lost the league last year so there's no way you're proud of him last year either no no could, could yes. be proud of him uh, losing our fantasy football league so no bonus way. bonus fun fact then off of that, oh, only eight percent of people only eight percent of people actually fulfill those fulfill their New Year's resolutions. So I was one sure. of eight percent. Sure, you did it. Eight percent, eight percent, top eight. Yeah, is that on, is that in the census? How are they getting uh, that? That's ridiculous. Uh, it's actually uh, sure. it was a study done by the University of Scranton. So you're welcome. Oh, that's not okay. true. I. I am, I am literally looking at the study this time. Yes, it was led by Michael Scott and Jim Halpert. I'm not Halpert. even convinced that University of Scranton is a thing. Uh, all right, are the top you, major are there is paper re- studies. Just saying. Are you Anyways. ready for a it's story? A thing. That is not. I, I don't Google it. For a second. It's, a go- it's, it's a thing. It's, I Googled it. I think no, we I, need I, to go I, to a story. I need to hear a story. A thing, but... My facts are dumb. I don't buy it. Are, are you all ready for a story? Let's do it. Let's do story time with Dr. Kevin. Dr. K's story time. Let me just let me just explain how these are going to work because these will, in terms of story times, these are going to be short stories that really lead into something that I want to talk about. Um, Because like a Jacob Pretty fun fact, or like my take on Ron Weasley being Han Solo, I'm always correct. My opinions are always right, and I I, I surround myself with these three yahoos and some other people uh, just to amuse me with their their little takes on certain things but i'd be interested to hear some 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 feedback on this piece but the other day too. i was oh yeah incredibly he's standing humble. in the spotlight right now <laughs> the <laughs> humble <laughs> mic drop we'll get to that and that's for we'll get to that at a different time but earlier 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 last week we were several of us were participating in a trivia night that was hosted by flynn ashley because you know that's what he's good for and the trivia night had several different exciting things. And one of the things that I thought was interesting was that uh, the number one, the highest grossing Christmas movie of all time uh, was a trivia question. And I answered something like Elf because they, you know, a lot of people like the Will Ferrell movies or uh, Miracle on 34th Street or It's Wonderful Life. I mean, these are three staples that are on all the time. The answer to my surprise was Home Alone. 
And one thing you might not know about me is I don't care for most things. Um, but one of the things I care for the least is Christmas. I am the biggest Scrooge, the biggest humbug in my group of friends and my family. I can't stand it. I hate uh, December 5th through uh, December 30th. I just can't stand it. It's the worst. Um, so I hate Christmas movies. I hate Christmas music. But there are several movies that I watch all the time. And if they're on around the holiday season, I'll put them on because they're delightful movies, and one of which is Home Alone. And it turns out, according to Flynn and his research, that Home Alone was the highest grossing Christmas movie of all time. And I don't believe that it's a Christmas movie. I don't believe that the fact that a movie takes place during Christmas time or over the Christmas season makes it a Christmas movie. I think Christmas movies have to be about Christmas, like Miracle on 34th Street, like Elf. Like, you know, A Year Without a Santa Claus or any of these pieces, it, it makes no sense to me that the fact that Home Alone takes place at Christmas time and that's why he gets left, his family's traveling over Christmas, makes it a Christmas movie. It, it doesn't. If that's true, if you make the argument that movies happen around Christmas time, they aren't that Christmas movies, you can make the same argument that movies like Gremlins or movies like Spider-Man Into the Spider-Verse are, in fact, just as much Christmas movies as Home Alone. But when I look at the top 100 Christmas movies online, I've got Thrillist pulled up right now. Their list has Home Alone as number four, as the as the best Christmas of, of the top 50 Christmas movies of all time. You don't see movies like Gremlins uh, on there, You don't, which is better than any Hallmark Christmas movie that's ever come out in the history of Hallmark Christmas movies. Uh, you don't see them on there. And I think it's nonsense. And so what I would what I would propose to my colleagues here today is is convince me otherwise. Convince me Home Alone's a Christmas movie. And if so, convince me why Gremlins and Into the Spider-Verse are not. Go further. Convince me why Die Hard is not a Christmas movie. Or is it? I don't know. Um, you can't convince me Christmas movies are great, but you can try to convince me that non-Christmas movies that are great can kind of be categorized as Christmas movies. That's a challenge I would propose to you today. I welcome your input as I drink my bourbon. Huffcamp, I'm coming to you first, bud. Okay. Um, good. Because I think... Um, <laughs> I think that, uh, just to throw another non-Christmas movie that takes place around Christmas, Iron Man 3. Iron Man 3. I don't think anyone watches that movie and says, I just watched a Christmas movie. Ho, ho, ho. And I think, I think it's um, to... I don't remember what court case it is, but when Supreme Court's talking about pornography, they're like, I can't describe it to you, but I know it when I see it. I think that a little bit of that applies here as well to Christmas movies. But let me give you an actual tangible way to kind of quantify it. Take Christmas out of the movie. Does it still exist in a in, in the same enjoyable format? Home Alone involves too much Christmas. The Christmas music, the Christmas holidays, the 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 scenery, the the ornamental traps, the the family and getting home for Christmas and getting spending Christmas with the holidays. Uh, Christmas is too integral a part of that movie. Whereas Into the Spider-Verse, it is just a setting. And if it takes place around Christmas, you're right, it's not a Christmas movie. But if the themes of Christmas are intertwined with the plot too much, um, then it is a Christmas movie. And Home Alone is a great example of a Christmas movie. I think Gremlins, you would have to make, you'd have to convince me. Um, and Into the Spider-Verse is definitely not. Okay, Gremlins, the main female um, in the movie who's the love interest, her one thing is 
she doesn't celebrate Christmas, and it's why she's mysterious, it's why she's interesting, and you find out later that her, spoiler alert, that her father tried to climb down the actual chimney on Christmas and got stuck and died. Uh, and that's why she's so sad through the whole film. Uh, it's incredibly related to Christmas because he was trying to be Santa Claus. Um, I hear you. Uh, I continue to retort. If Home Alone's a Christmas movie, so is Gremlins. Jacob, I'm coming to you, bud. Bring it in. Okay, so I think the important thing to recognize is what, kind of similar to what Hovecamp's saying, but I'm taking a different spin on it. Um, are we acknowledging some of these movies that maybe aren't by general population considered Christmas movies, or uh, are we calling them Christmas movies because they were released at Christmas time? Because that in and of itself is its own strategy. Name for me one single holiday-themed movie that was not released at or around the December, January time. Miracle, Miracle on 34th Street was released in July. Valentine's Day. Okay. The, the, the point that I'm getting at, sorry, in modern, in modern era, in modern movie watching era. Halloween. I'm, I'm what are you, looking what are for Christmas, <laughs> Christmas movies released not at Christmas time. Got it. Got when, it. Yes. when do you quantify modern era? Miracle on 34th Street is one of the most the Christmas movie, and it was released in the summer. It is the Christmas movie. Yeah. Okay, but like, okay, back then, movies were not as easily produced, like, and, and they weren't thinking, oh, we should release this at Christmas time because that makes sense. Um, <clears throat> no, I'm saying like, okay, let's just say anything from 1975 on. I think what, I think what your larger point is is the way that the movie is marketed. So my point, my point with that being, for example... Spider-Man 3, or uh, not Spider-Man 3, Spider-Man Into the Spider-Verse, as well as Iron Man 3, were both released at Christmas time. And I think the intention there of throwing in the Christmas, like, oh, hey, we're putting Christmas in this, like, movie, was not a, to make it a Christmas movie, but because we're releasing at Christmas time, let's do this fun little bit so it kind of aligns with the time that we're releasing it. My point being is, Kevin, I'm kind of in your boat, is is what I'm saying, is I I agree that, like, why why are we calling these different things Christmas movies? Are, and I don't know where I'm going with that point. Where are you at Home Alone? I was going to say, I think we can all agree that Kevin's got a good point, but I think he includes Home Alone erroneously in his point. So mm. Home Alone, Home Alone, I think, it, well, are you meaning just Home Alone or are you talking about the series? Well, Home Alone in the series two? had, no, there's Home Alone, there's several Home Alones, one of which most well, recently five decided that it needed to say Home Alone and then something for the holidays in the title needed to specify this is the holiday version of Home Alone. It made the point to do it. And so I, I'm, I'm, I'm waiting for a yes or no from you, Pretty. By your standards, is Home Alone a Christmas movie? Um, can, I get you, can I give you that answer in 45 seconds? I need to do a quick fact check. No, no, no. This is you. This is to you. Uh, yes. It was released November 16th. I would qualify that within the Christmas release, release holiday time period. That's a big factor your, for me. I'm, That's a big factor for okay. me. It's nonsense. <clears throat> Flynn, please save this and join us, you logical man, you. 
So I've been I've been quiet throughout uh, that you all have talked through that because as as you all know I I'm not a movie person per se. Have you I have seen a lot of different movies. I have seen Home Alone once. Uh, oh. I have not seen Die Hard. I have not seen oh Gremlins. God. I have seen Into the Spider Verse. I have not seen Christmas on Thirty Fourth Street. I thought it was called <laughs> Miracle Miracle on Thirty Fourth Street. <laughs> Whatever it's called. <laughs> I have not seen any of those movies. I have not seen Elven Man. <laughs> I have not seen. I have seen Rudolph the Red-Nosed Hamster. Uh, yeah. uh, Pretty and I. Okay, sidebar. Pretty and I played D anD D, and he was called Yukon Cornelius, and I had no clue what that was referencing. I had absolutely no clue. <laughs> oh I'm disappointed that I just got eliminated from a D and D game that I clearly. Do you know who George <laughs> Bailey? Is? Go yeah, on with your. Go on with but your. But I was. Uh, <laughs> you were not. You're not. Yeah. Whatever. Okay. So. Home alone. So I, I, okay. So I, I have I have had this discussion with a couple of people, surprisingly enough, and so and so, a few people have pointed out that uh, one of two things could could qualify it as a Christmas movie. One, it takes place in a Christmas setting. Two, it has a feel-good nature and the Christmas setting. And so one of those things could happen. Um, but I, I, I did a little bit more digging, and I, I found an article um, that, that The Hollywood Reporter did, and it throws another wrench into what you're saying. And so says, on the flip side, there's yet another way to define a Christmas movie, a film that we love to revisit with friends and family at Christmas time, not for any holiday content, but simply for its pure escapist entertainment value. So in this regard, any Christmas movie could be any movie that you watch with family and friends that you love to go back to as a tradition could be considered a Christmas movie. So if you like James Bond, if yeah, I like The Matrix, uh, that was one of my favorite movies growing up. If I wanted to watch The Matrix with my family every Christmas, I could consider that a Christmas movie personally. I don't subscribe to that, but again, I'm what not a What do you subscribe guy. to? Because you just made an argument for something you don't believe then. I saw Home Alone when I was like 10, so I don't really remember much about the movie, so I don't really... I know there's snow and there's a trampoline scene. That's about it. No, Flynn, uh, let me quote another movie you haven't seen and just say, I award you no points, and may God have mercy on your soul. I've seen uh, that. No, you haven't. Name it, name it. Read, what is it, Flynn? I'm pretty sure that's uh, Happy Gilmore. No, nope. it's not. <laughs> it is so, not. No, it's not. It's Adam Sandler, isn't it? <laughs> yes, 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 it is. But it is not uh, Happy Gilmore. Billy Madison. There yes. we go. Do better. Okay. There we go. Do better. Do better. I mean, I, w- I would move to dismiss all of Flynn's entire argument. Second. We'll oh, just have the three I mean, of us debate the rest yeah, of Yeah, with Flynn's school of thought there, <laughs> Lord of the Rings and Star Wars 100%. would be Christmas movies for yeah, me. they could be. In, in, uh, in every Disney movie ever. Yeah. Oh, yeah. This group of friends spends time every Christmas break until COVID this year. Every Christmas break for more than a decade getting together to watch Disney movies on VHS tapes. You All can't Christmas make the movies. argument that every Disney movie is a, is that's been played on a VHS is a Christmas movie. That's utter nonsense, Flynn. And I, I, I appreciate you taking the time to look at a website, but <laughs> I wish you would have just said pass. So here's where I'm at today. Flynn's... Uh, 
argument is utter nonsense. Pretty, I don't know where you are on this. I think that you argued my point and then said the Home Alone is a Christmas movie. I don't understand. Release date. Uh, Huffcamp and I will continue to vehemently disagree, but Huffcamp, give me this. Where are you on Gremlins? Where are you on Die Hard? Where are you on Iron Man 3? Iron Man 3, absolutely not. Die Hard, I think, is too... I think if you removed Christmas from Die Hard, you would still have a similar quality action movie. So I'm going to say that's a no. But I do think that it, I'm more open to that argument. And I, to that one, I'll just say, look, watch it at Christmas. I don't care. Um, I think Gremlins is where I'm in a gray area on. I think there's a lot of Christmas in that, a lot more Christmas. But also, I don't think it's the movie. So I think that it's – I think the, the Venn diagram overlap there – is a little bit less than Home Alone. So if if the family from Home Alone had been traveling over Thanksgiving to see the Macy's Thanksgiving Day Parade and left Kevin at or or misplaced Kevin in the airport and he chose to go somewhere else and all those kinds of things. It's a Thanksgiving movie, but the same premise exists. People travel for Thanksgiving all the time. Tell me why that argument doesn't hold up. Did you just say it was a Thanksgiving movie in that instance? No. Thanksgiving movies don't exist. Other so than... Until that's a Thanksgiving. Um, other than uh, the yeah, Thanksgiving... Yeah, Thanksgiving is a great movie. <laughs> seen that. Sure, sure. And there's a Charlie Brown Thanksgiving, too. So, yeah. okay, I take, I take that back. So, <laughs> I think you can argue that Thanksgiving and Christmas have very similar themes and that we could just call it a holiday movie um, because there's travel and family and Thanksgiving and it's about something else, something more. But I think, I mean, they literally, they marketed it as a Christmas movie. They play Christmas soundtracks in it. Um, what's he going to do? Break the turkey at the foot of the window so that Marv steps on it? Like, that's not going to work. He's got to have the ornaments. The wishbone. Um, and, and so I think there's a lot... I think there's too much Christmas in Home Alone for it not to be a Christmas movie. And it's if it's if it's just the setting, then the setting plays too much of a role in Home Alone. Whereas in something like Die Hard, it does not. I disrespectfully disagree, but I appreciate the conversation. I just want to say the setting with Die Hard, uh, were it not Christmas time, he would not have been invited to his ex-wife's Christmas office party. Therefore, Christmas movie. Christmas is, is, I think that's more of just like a mechanism to get them out there as opposed to the, a main part of the movie. You could have okay, how else, how else could you have a gathering of individuals during a non-business time, normal business hour time, that a group of, of radical, um, uh, can I say terrorists? What, what is Hans Gruber considered? Terrorist? Yes. Uh, are, then, are then trying to, to take over this building. Fourth of July fireworks. Die Hard is a Christmas movie. Christmas Eve. I don't accept your premise, but I love your argument. Die Hard's a Christmas movie, Um, but I I don't. I don't think Home Alone is. That's where I'm at. I appreciate the conversation. I I maintain the fact that I'm right and you all are wrong, but I think some good arguments have been made. I would be interested in hearing. Uh, others, uh, whenever we have a website and social media presence, I'll be interested in hearing others weigh in on this debate and and ones further. 
um, because as Flynn, uh, you know, mentioned at the beginning of this, uh, we are passionate about some very, um, he called them ridiculous, I would call them significant, important, philosophical, um, and needed topics uh, that we'll be exploring in future episodes of, of this podcast that we hope uh, other, anyone else will, will <laughs> listen to. Yes. I agree. I, I, I thank you all for the uh, heated discussion um, and, and taking into account my my expert opinion on, on movies. So I, I look forward to giving you uh, my, my opinion more on movies moving forward. Mm. And watch movies. Watch that movies wraps up. <laughs> yeah, I'll, I'll I'll watch movies when I want to watch movies. Uh, I'll, I'll watch I'll watch whatever movies I want to watch. I'm gonna probably gonna go watch a movie that I've already seen after this. Uh, oh my so gosh. That, <laughs> oh, okay. Yeah, Marvel. I watch Marvel movies constantly. That's that's really all I watch. Uh, and so is, so Iron Man three Christmas movie. Yeah, it's a Christmas movie. I watch it around Christmas time. <laughs> You just said you watch all of them all of the time. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's it's also a Fourth of July movie. Oh uh, so th- that wraps up our first podcast. I uh, hope uh, our our thousands of listeners loved uh, loved our our banter, uh, and and I, w- I will continue to drink bourbon throughout the night. Uh, and I hope everyone has a great time. And we'll see you on the next episode. And uh, Kev- Kevin, who's Kevin? Who's our uh, who's our listener of the week? Our listener of the week is probably my mom, uh, and she'll be super proud of everything that that three graduates of the high school that she works at and one guy she's met three times um, had to say about some things that mattered to nobody. Um, we're really I'm excited sure we about have eight that. Eight degrees between us. Oh yeah, I've got at least nine of them. Um, so nine of the eight. pretty pretty. Is there anything else we need to talk about? Yes, actually, another important thing that I wanted to bring up. So recently, I was listening to Taylor Swift's new album, Evermore, and I don't know if y'all have heard it yet, but it is 100% a... um, Guys? Hello? Okay, Uh, well, everyone left me, so I guess we'll save the Evermore conversation for next episode. Uh, Thank you so much for listening, everyone, and uh, we look forward to... Hopefully giving you more content that's absolutely ridiculous and can at least make you laugh a little bit. Cheers.